today we are filming with Marcel Pavlicek, a CEO at Burkhardt Compression Company. Marcel, it's nice to meet you and uh, being with you here today at Online VGS Talks. Hello, Regina. Thanks for the invitation. It's also nice to be here from my side. You have worked in the company since 1979. Oh my God, it's a huge number. And you went from design engineer to CEO, yes? And I'm interested to know how you decided to apply for a job uh, in Burkhardt from the first place. Uh, you see that uh, in, in Switzerland, uh, you start traditionally with an apprenticeship. So when you are 16, you have to make a choice what job you want to learn. And so when I was 16, I started actually as a drafts person, as a, as a design engineer in the engineering department during that time of the Sulzer Corporation. So Burkhardt was part of the Sulzer organization because uh, the teachers thought I'm very well in technical drawings and in math. And so that actually, that was my decision to go into, a, into the job as a design engineer. And that was the start of the career. So I started actually as an apprenticeship. Okay, and why oil and gas? Okay, that was a coincidence because uh, you see when you start uh, with 16 uh, in a job, then you first go to drafting school as an example. For one year you learn how to, because we had still the big boards where you did all the drawings. And then after a year uh, you get to the different departments. And by accident I went to the compressor department, or they sent me to the compressor department. And I like the business, I like the product, I like the people, and so I'm still here after 41 years. So, <laughs> what just coincidence. And now I think uh, you're supposing that it is the right choice, am I right? It was the, it was the right choice. And uh, of course, uh, I, I almost got by accident into the compression business because uh, with uh, 17, after one year in drafting school, they transformed me in, a, in one department of the huge organization. And since then, I'm in the compression business. And what is really great, uh, first of all, you meet all over the world the same people. Uh, uh, people are very long in this business. It's a traditional business. You're at the pulse. Uh, you're at the energy source and you can do a lot. And this is really what hooks me up. And once you're in this business, you'll never get out of this business again. In April 2002, uh, uh, there was a, a acquisition yeah, for, for Booker company. So the five members of uh, leadership bought the company from Sulze. Am I right? Uh, this is correct. Uh, in uh, 2000, 2001, uh, Sulzer was in a reorganization and then they decided to actually separate from uh, Sulzer Burkhardt. That was the name during that time. And then we decided actually in 2002 to make a management buyout. And uh, the reason for this management buyout was uh, on one side, uh, the company was already in since 2000 in a reorganization mode, we had to reorganize the company and that was one of the reasons we wanted to continue the path we have chosen on our own. And what was also important for us that we continue to be a, a Swiss-based company or still it was well received by our customers because they said, look, if we're gonna have more consolidation in this business, we lose another uh, competent partner we have in the business. And uh, of course, they didn't give us a blank check for say, giving us all, all the orders, but they were really pleased that we continued the business uh, as we have chosen as an independent company. What opportunities did the company get after this decision? Yeah, look, uh, the opportunity, of course, was uh, we, we were independent, which was also a challenge because we had to get a, a first financial stable company. There was no big mother company with uh, a pocket behind us. 
But, uh, and I think we could choose our own path. And uh, I think customers were very pleased that they can still count on the competence of the Burka compression people. So it was also important for our customers that we continued service on this installed base. And then from there on, of course, we grew the company and uh, to made it now to the, the world leader in reciprocating compression. You know, that's a great pass. And also, I'm aware that in 2006, uh, yeah, the company went public, yes? So what was the market reaction for this? I think the market at the beginning did not realize that. Of course, uh, what was really the, the, the main fact when we became public is that we became very transparent. Because, you know, when you're a private company, you don't have to disclose any numbers. Of course, once you're uh, public, you have to disclose numbers you have to do annual reports uh, of course that was a challenge I, I think it was interesting also for our customers that they now are dealing with a, let's say a stock listed company it's it's always a different perception when you can say you're stock listed you also have access to money uh, as an example if you want to do acquisition that's something that came later the last couple of years and uh, I think the, the reaction was positive. I think it was also a change for our people because all of a sudden they were working in a stock listed company where they can every day uh, look at the stock price and see what the company's performance is. Then you took your path to, the, to becoming a leading company in uh, compressor production, yeah? And what were the main steps company did towards this goal? I, I think what, what, what we did is we, we changed our strategy because, uh, because of our, where we are coming from. We have all the technical products in reciprocating compressors available because some of them have been created by Zulzo, some of them have been created by Burkhardt. And I think that gave us a great opportunity to actually play an important role in all gas compression. And uh, I think that was a step that we... Uh, we opened the company, we, uh, we went into all the applications. So where, today I say wherever is gas, there is Burka compression. And of course, what also happened in the, I would say, especially in the last three, four, five years, uh, we, we bought actually in China our largest competitor in, uh, in Shenyang. We, we bought a, a, a large service company in the United States. We uh, built a, an assembly facility in Korea to support our marine business. We built an assembly facility in, uh, in Houston to support the refinery business over there. We have uh, built up service stations in more than 30 countries right now. And uh, uh, we also have a large production since, okay, that's production we already have since 30 years now in India. So uh, this, this globalization and uh, coming, let's say becoming an international company with space space and not being a Swiss company anymore that is just a little bit international position, I think that was the biggest step in the last couple of years. You're really the leader of the market uh, for reciprocating compressors. And I'm interested to know, so now you have achieved this goal, but how can you see the future? What do you think about the future of your company? For example, in five years from now? We have uh, some interesting, exciting uh, projects coming up as an example right now hydrogen uh, hydrogen as a fuel with fuel cells uh, very interesting uh, things coming up globally therefore can play a very important role but I think we have made a big step in the last couple of years uh, because the goal is also to become the leading service provider I think that we still have opportunities in the future to further grow our business 
So uh, we still have ideas. We are not even if, if after all these years, we are still not running out of ideas how we can further develop this organization. We there, we have just built a new factory in China that has been finished in October. We have moved all our 700 people from the old factory into the new factory. It said uh, I couldn't be there or I cannot be there right now with them. We have planned a celebration in April. We'll see whether it happens or not. But also here with my Chinese friends, I stay in contact through video conferencing. What can you say about control in such a huge project distantly in online? It's an interesting question. First of all, what is very important to have trust in the people locally who built this factory. <laughs> Uh, because even if I would be able to travel, I cannot be every day there, and, and I'm not the building expert how to build a factory. And I think what we really did is we, we had monthly exchange where uh, our Chinese friends really, they did a detailed planning, they presented where they are. Uh, today, uh, actually by the end of the project, we did it every two weeks, uh, the, the, the call. So we had a video conferencing with a presentation. They showed us where we are. We had questions. So also the interaction that people locally realize, first of all, you are interested in. That is very important. And that you keep an eye what is going on because important is that you have such a project within budget and on time and for the quality you want. And I think there, uh, and at the end of the day, it's really also trust the people locally that they do a good job. Because at the end of the day, you can do everything by yourself if you don't trust the people. Now it's a pandemic time and all the companies are um, using their crisis management strategies. So what is uh, your main points for this kind of situation? Whoever tells you right now they have been prepared for Corona, I don't think they tell you the truth because nobody can could prepare for Corona. And I think in a crisis situation, if I may call it this way, I think you just have to, it's your instinct that's driving you and you just have to do, and first of all, you have to think, you have people out there. How do I communicate to these people? What do they people, what, what do they want to know? What is important for them? And I think when you go into this modus, then uh, I think you have already won the, the first step because uh, keep the communication open. Of course, what is very important that you cannot, in, in a crisis like that, you cannot delegate the responsibility because at the end of the day, it's on top, you're responsible for the whole organization. And again, also there, you, can, you have to trust the people uh, and also have a communication channel that they can ask you if they need anything, that you have a communications group that you frequently inform them what's going on. And I'm interested to know whether you have a large projects right now going on and how you control and manage them in a crisis situation. Yeah, okay, the, the, the one large project we had going on, as I mentioned before, was building that factory in China. Of course, we have projects going on with our customers and uh, we have to train our customers. We do that virtually right now, wherever possible, or when we can, we send service engineers. So the, the whole thing, uh, especially of digitalization, I think became a very important topic where we were already on a path towards this digitalization. We had to accelerate that. And I think this is one of the projects is this whole digitalization, making use of all these modern tools. And there again, of course, uh, the younger generation, this is already a plug and play uh, generation anyway. So they are used to that, to these tools, and they do that very quickly. It's maybe also with the older people. Actually, I'm a little bit a, a computer nut too. I love my iPhone and all this, but uh, I think these are the projects that's going on. Right now, a large project like we had with the new factory 
we do not have an on hand right now. Another thing I was reading about your company is April 2020 when you acquired uh, JSW, well, Japan Steelworks Company. So, can you share with us a little bit more details about this acquisition? We acquired the compressor business of JSW. First of all, it gave us an additional installed base where we have opportunities on the service side. It also gave us an inroad into the Japanese market because many JSW machines, uh, former JSW machines, they are located sometimes in the same plant than a Burkhardt machine is. So that also gives us some nice service opportunities and especially what is very important, an inroad into the Japanese market. I saw your phrase that it helped you to expand your presence in the Japanese market, which you named as a key market. Could you please tell me why do you think that it is a key market? Yeah, okay. Uh, you, you know, Japan is a, is a quite large economy, especially when it comes to, uh, to plastic production, petrochemicals. Uh, in Japan, you have a lot of producers, you have car producers, you have many other electronic equipment producers. And uh, for us, it is a, a very uh, important market because, and what is also a challenge, of course, the Japanese market is normally an in itself protected closed market. And I think with the knowledge from these JSW machines and having also, uh, I would say, about 300, 350 JSW machines located in Japan right now, uh, which we took over doing on the service side, it, give, it can give us also bigger access now to customers. We are working with Japan, you have factories in China, so uh, looks like it's your general plan to go to Asian market and spread your coverage there, am I right? Uh, yeah, look, uh, this is this is still uh, the, the growing opportunity over there. On the other side, we should not forget, uh, we also have built uh, an assembly plant in uh, Texas uh, to follow the refinery business. Uh, we, we still uh, see also opportunities in the petrochemical sector coming up in, uh, in North America. Refineries more modern, making refineries cleaner, uh, making refineries more flexible to produce and to build them later on. Uh, actually goes sl slowly down, but uh, coming with alternative uh, alternatives coming to the market. But we still see also refineries, making uh, refineries more modern, making refineries cleaner, uh, making refineries more flexible to produce and uh, to refine different crude oils. Um, I, I still think there, there is a, a, a potential in, on the way forward and especially on the service side. Also, on your company website, there is an information that you did the research and an average employee is, uh, well, for the nine years with the company. So your employee stayed for the nine years with the company. It's at, uh, that's an average number. And well, to achieve that, you need to treat your employees right as well. So what are the main points for you while treating your employees right? Of course, it's difficult to say you're a family when you have 2,800 employees. But I think we, 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 we work together and we try that also from the management to, to be with our employees like we are part of a family. I think we give our people a lot of freedom. They can make decisions. Uh, they can also make, by the way, wrong decision because uh, only from wrong decision you learn to do something better. And uh, as long as the, the wrong decision doesn't cost of millions and millions of dollars. And can we summarize three main pillars of your HR policies? Okay, main pillars, of course, uh, one very important pillar for us is uh, training. 
we have to train our people. We have to develop our people. Uh, we we also uh, what we have is uh, another pillar is uh, is our uh, behaviors, uh, how we treat each other, how we want to be treated in the company, values and behaviors, uh, and. Uh, I think that, that the third pillar, and this is something very interesting, we do quite frequently every two years, we, uh, we make a survey uh, and we ask our people how they feel. We call that even polls at BC. Uh, so we got to feel the polls of the people. And I think this is very important. And uh, the return we get from this one, I think last time we, we, we measured the polls of our employees. I think uh, we had about 98% return. And then, of course, what is important when you measure the polls that you also do something with this information from the people and uh, that you really take that serious and things like that. Uh, and, uh, but I think one of the most important thing is really training and development. Marshall, I will be happy if you share the most interesting insights from the last research you did for, for pulse of your company. One thing people were complaining a little bit is that the processes were not really clear. And uh, I can end, actually, at the beginning, you are a little bit, huh, what is going on? But when you actually go a step back and you realize we have built a factory in Korea, we have built a factory in the United States, we have uh, bought our largest competitor in China, we have bought a large service organization in uh, Korea, we also have made the divisional structure of the organization, then you have to say, okay, maybe these people are right, that we have not really moved and we have adopted our processes accordingly growing from a 400 people company to a 2800 people company and uh, i think at the end of the day the other people were right and this is really something we, we took quite seriously speaking about the business processes and the company so have you changed your company structure after you realized that employees have some concerns about it or what are the steps now you see changing changing is a big word of course you're going through a certain change process but it's not a revolution, it's an evolution. The basic idea of the process is at the end to serve our global customers better and in a more efficient way than we did in the past. And I think that's the ultimate goal because the ultimate goal is always there, is the customer. What are we doing for the customer? How can we do it better? And not just think how we can then do it internally better for us. And I think this is important people have to understand and it's for the new machine business, of course, it's a different process than for the service business. So ultimately, it's one company, but the process is a different one. And yes, we are currently in the, in the process to adopt our processes to the size of the company and also to the needs of our customers. Uh, I think this is an ongoing process. I think this is not a project that starts on a day A and stops on a day B. I think it's uh, also a kind of a philosophy. It's like a lean, as an example. In the past, everybody was talking about lean processes in your productions. And we have implemented lean processes. And this is a philosophy, how you work, how you actually live your business life. And it's not something that stops. And I think it's a continuation. And it's just step, step by step. You have to show the people maybe where you want to go, where the star is. This is very important, but then you have to do it in small steps so people can also follow. What are the digital innovations you're using inside your company to adjust your business and the way you work? 
digitalization, in my opinion, has two aspects. One aspect is to improve your own processes. Uh, is it in production, but not only on production? Is it also how do I do a proposal? Uh, do I have digital tools that I can put a proposal together with different modules? Uh, that this goes automatic. Also the purchasing process. We have uh, certain processes automated how to, to pay bills in the company and things like that. Of course, we have scanners in our storage room that we scan now the, the code of our parts and things like that. But we also have digitalization towards our customers. How do we make it available that our customers can buy spare parts? How can they see their own machine? How can they see the condition of their own machine? Uh, how can we control, how can we make sure pro proactive, preventive maintenance and things like that? And there we are still, let's say this way, we are, we are doing a lot. Uh, there is still a lot to go. Uh, interestingly enough, data we have already available. We have done certain basic tools that we can provide this already to our customers. But also here, and I think in digitalization, it's also very important that we understand what do the customer want. And what does your customer want? You talk to a petrochemical customer and you ask him, what is your biggest dream? Then the answer is that I can produce petrochemicals without machines. Because a machine is just something they have to maintain. But ultimately, they are not here to maintain machines. Can you give me a couple of precise examples uh, how you're achieving this goal for your customer and maybe your steps? So some precise examples, what are you doing already for the customer for this development? We have signed a, a long-term service agreement with a marine customer where we are doing LNG uh, compressors. So there we already have, uh, we will use digitalization uh, as well as other tools to actually do frequent service on customers. And on the marine side, it's even more important because you cannot just go on a ship. Uh, normally, the ships don't have a helicopter pad, so you cannot land on them. So you have to be proactive and, and do something. We have also in, uh, in LDP plants, uh, we have already installed a monitoring diagnostic system. Uh, we had a uh, we had recently, uh, over a weekend, we had a, a, a failure in an LDP plant and uh, through the analysis of the data we had from this plant, uh, we had not to send a service engineer to the plant. We could just call the customer. We tell them, look, please change this part, which they had a spare part already at the stock. Please just change this part because the data shows we have a problem, that this part is no good and then uh, customer changed it and the plant was running again. So uh, I think these are things we are doing training, these uh, goggles uh, where we actually guide customers since we could not really uh, go to certain plants, we actually uh, guide our customers remotely that they can do service on our equipment without our people. So there are many things we are doing already using digitalization, of course, using the know-how of the business, using the know-how of the machines, but also having our customers involved. COVID-19 accelerated the industry digitalization, all industries digitalization. What do you think about this? Absolutely, absolutely. Starting already with home office in our own company, uh, because this is sometimes we forget this is also part of a digitalization that all of a sudden people all could work from home. So I uh, home. But you're absolutely right. With uh, not being able to travel and still, uh, let's say, building plans, still uh, giving customers guidelines, uh, still uh, 
uh, executing spare parts orders. Uh, yes, digitalization really. Uh, and I think if one thing comes out of this uh, COVID crisis is that we really had to speed up. We had to speed up because otherwise uh, we wouldn't be successful anymore. That this digitalization helped us a lot. Yes, I absolutely agree. What are the main digitalization tools you started to use because of the COVID? One is, thick, uh, one is for sure is the, the HoloLens. Uh, we started to do already with our customers some service activities, uh, some checking with HoloLenses where we were quite successful. Okay, monitoring diagnostics we already had before. And uh, of course, what we also started to do, and I think this is something people would have not thought, we also started negotiation uh, over uh, video conferencing. That also works now all of a sudden too, which uh, before, of course, you had to travel, make a one-day meeting for a negotiation and then flying back 10 hours. And I think people have realized uh, to also that we can do negotiations. You as a company CEO, definitely you spend half of your life in the airplane, am I right? And well, what will you choose um, next? Anyway, we will come to, to an end with this pandemic situation and we will get back to normal and back to travels. Will you maintain the same level or you will do your best to, to lower it? For me, many traveling is just being present at local location, meeting the people, uh, of course, uh, meeting the, see the new factory in China, meeting our people in Korea. Uh, this is, is more actually a representation traveling, but also that will be reduced in the future. But especially salespeople, you don't have to go 10 hours just for a three-hour meeting and then you fly 10 hours back. And people, I think, have learned that uh, remotely. And uh, I definitely think it will, be, it will be reduced. So your company took part in our PRC Europe, which is down downstream event for petrochemical and refining market for a few times already. And you were a highest level, one of the highest level sponsors, a platinum sponsor there. So in general, do you think that event is a good tool for achieving your business development goals? I, I, I feel that the events and exhibitions are quite important for us. What, what of course we have to be realistic Having an event and an exhibition virtually <laughs> is a little bit a challenge and is a little bit difficult. I think at the end of the day, also exhibitions, this is really something where people have to meet people and to socialize with each other. So I think they also petrochemical as well as energy. You could participate in an event or in an exhibition almost every day in a different one. So we have to be really focused and this is very important for us also and that's why we did also with your organization because for us the petrochemical business and the way you have organized it works very well for us and is great for us. Very important for for also to, to get uh, our name for Burka Compression out there. Uh, sometimes we should not forget even the company was founded in 1844. Uh, not everybody on this planet knows Burka Compression and not everybody knows what we are doing. And also on the customer side, you have many new people coming in there. They come from high school, they come from university, they come into the business, they come as an apprentice and things like that. And uh, so I think it's also important for us to be there to show our name, and show our presence. You attend the event and how often you manage to find a new potential customer there or at least to start some negotiations with the company? 
I get from our people actually every time a feedback that at least on every exhibition, they met at least one new customer. Compression business is a traditional old business, but still, there are still new players out there. And especially when it comes to the, to the new like clean fuel hydrogen, there are many new players right now. So um, you, of course you have the traditional players, which we already know, but there's also many, many new players, especially in the hydrogen business right now, hydrogen mobility and energy. There are so many new companies popping up, which we have never heard of. And uh, of course, they also have never heard of Burkhardt. <laughs> so <laughs> this is important that we meet somewhere. Yeah, that's exactly the point our company is following because we are trying to organize and networking platforms for potential customers and clients and partners to meet each other. What are the main points when you choose the event to attend? First of all, it has to be, let's say, a larger event, which sometimes is a little bit difficult because you have quite a lot of local events in different countries. Uh, which, uh, especially when it comes to, uh, let's say, to energy, uh, there are many events are local. It has to be uh, major players there. We have to also find already our current customers on these events so we can actually connect with them. Because once we have then already the current customers, then we also know there might be potential new customers. If it's completely a new event, then it's difficult. And it has to really fit our strategy is it on uh, on a new market? Is it on uh, or whatever it is? And so it has to fit also our strategy and it has to fit our business model. We in BGS Group this year, we developed and designed in-house our own BGS online platform, which is a virtual event platform. And we did our best to, to combine all the benefits of off-site event together with online at this platform. And your company took part in that event this September in PRC Europe online. And you said, well, that it's not so easy to achieve the goal at the online event. Why do you think so? Uh, as I mentioned, look, uh, I know in this crisis or in this situation we are in and uh, you, you have to be creative and uh, I can tell you I'm the president of the Switzerland, Russia, CIS uh, Chamber of Commerce and uh, we also normally have a lot of physical events and we had to change to virtual events and it is important and I think there you're doing a great job because you have to stay in touch also with your customers even during these times and I think this is very important but I think at the end of the day uh, at what we will see and that's at least my, uh, my perception for the future we will see a combination we will see a combination of virtual events and you know the virtual events are very difficult because they cannot last longer than an hour because nobody has the patience to sit in front of the computer longer than an hour so you have to be careful but we will see a combination that we have physical events where people meet they can go one or two days or something like that you have different exhibitions but i still feel the relationship to build up relationship is still easier when you physically meet. This year we already tried that. We had the hybrid event, so to say, which were half digital, half uh, yeah. offline <laughs> in St. Petersburg. It was a quite an interesting experience. But anyway, from anyway. my side, yeah, I want to say that uh, luckily we achieved the goal to keep 
people's interest with us online for the two days in a row. Even though representatives of the companies like ANI, OMV, Mall Group, they were with us from the beginning till the end. And so from my side, I'm happy to understand that it can be beneficial for our customers like you, that you still maintain your contact with your constant clients and possibly can meet a new one. Blitz is a traditional part for our BGS Talks interview. It's a short questions where I just ask you to give me the first answer which comes to your head. Where is your favorite spot to work from home? Uh, I do not work from home. You're not working from home right now? No, no. Really? I never had home office the last uh, since Corona started. No, I do not. I, actually, my my home is just about uh, three kilometers from the office, so uh, it's easier. For, no, I don't work from home. So you're sitting in the office alone? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, almost alone. Yes. Oh my god, <laughs> that's interesting <laughs> to know about. Okay, all right. The next question is: What is your favorite wine? I have different favorite wines, but I, I like really. Uh, some some nice uh, Pinot Noir is uh, is also here in Switzerland, so uh, this is something I like. So I, I like red wine, but I'm not really focused. I like different ones, but there are some excellent Pinot Noirs here in Switzerland. What was the longest flight in your life, and where where does it take you? It's uh, actually from Zurich to uh, to Shanghai, and I think this is about a 12-13 hour flight. Now, what is the thing you hate doing? I do not like to do is talking too long about a problem. It's better to solve it, yeah? Exactly. Absolutely right. What was the last concert you, you went to? Before Corona, of course. The last concert I went to was the Toto concert in Zurich. Marcel, thank you so much for this time. I think it was great and I think that we discussed lots of good topics and good subjects. Thank you very much for the interview. It was a pleasure to be with you.